Such a joy and a privilege to be with you. I feel I already don't have enough time for my message. So I think in addition to sharing what I felt the Lord has given me, maybe I'll try to also squeeze in a real quick update here on things in Tanzania, how things are going before I share the message. So I just finished checking Pastor Bailey's Gospel of John book, so that should be ready for printing soon in Swahili. And it will join Repentance, Genesis, God's Powerful Voice, The Comforter, Journey, Pillars of Faith, and Steps to Spiritual Growth, which are already in print in Swahili. Leaving Know Your Bible, The Tabernacle of Moses, and First and Second Thessalonians as the remaining courses to come into print for the first batch of 12 there are 12 more for the second year. They've been translated. They just need the graphics to be Swahiliized. <laughs> yeah, I made that up. And the normal content checking, just make sure everything is there, etc. All those, all the things that you need to check for even after it's been checked. <laughs> and then uh, formatting and then a final check and then they'll be good for print. And then we need to get the the exams uh, from English into Swahili as well. Then we would be ready to establish a Bible school in Mbeya and satellite Swahili schools wherever the need or opportunity arises, if the Lord would permit and open those doors. There's a former student from Dad and Mom's work in Malawi that is currently running two classes in Blantyre. Blantyre is almost at the very south end of Malawi, not quite, but it's way down there. And then there's also a bishop in Lilongwe, Malawi, which is a little more than halfway down, that over the years he had sent students to a study at dad and mom's school, if I, if I get the details correct. But he himself now wants to study or is studying and has 25 pastors that he's um, having, you know, of his pastors of various churches study. So we really need wisdom in how to facilitate the, the, the book, uh, the stock of books, exams and all that. They're with us in Embea, but these classes are happening uh, quite a distance away, and uh, so we need wisdom as the Lord opens doors, how to facilitate these classes, you know, hopefully we could set it up where they can be um, marking the exams themselves, and we we help and we support from a distance, but that they can take on uh, responsibilities too. So if you think of it, pray for us in that regard. And at the same time, it seems that Zambia is opening up, and so uh, probably at some time I would need to go down, meet with the contacts, tell them who Zion is, what, what we are about, and what we're doing there in East Africa, and see who uh, wants to work together and what we can do. Uh, all this in addition to the seminar ministry, which continues in Tanzania Though it's slowed due to COVID, there are a number of pastors and churches in various locations that want us to come teach a seminar. So we thank God that those doors continue to open. 
Also, if anyone hearing this would like to either visit short-term or come join the ministry, please clear it with Pastor Wallace and Pastor Tucker. Get your tickets, and I will be ready to put you to uh, meet you. <clears throat> yeah, that would be fantastic. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask now that you would come upon your word, and you would minister to us, to each and every heart here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Having recently lost my wife's cousin's son, my father-in-law, and my brother, and having a brother suddenly come down with a mysterious disease, along with other perplexing situations, has caused me to ponder the sovereignty of God. Now, the word sovereign and sovereignty, they're not in the Bible, not in the King James anyways. So when you look up the word sovereign, it simply means a supreme ruler, especially a monarch. And sovereignty means supreme power or authority. But I feel as Christians, when we consider the sovereignty of God, we're not only looking that he is completely in control, but it dictates that we have to look at who he is in order to understand this and its implications. Obviously, some things that make the sovereignty of God tricky to understand are other factors that God allows. Uh, Firstly, the free will God gave to man. Rarely does God interfere with this, meaning most likely he will allow me to do something that is not his choice or desire. Of course, this is balanced with the fact that he very much is a God that longs to communicate and guide us if we will give him that opportunity. Secondly, I do not believe he is a creator that dictates every action his creation decides upon. While he has established that everything bears offspring after its kind, he does not force every animal to make decisions and take the actions that they do. Perhaps we could simply agree that God has a plan that will be fulfilled in every way, and that it's up to each one of us to be used of him in that or not based upon our responses to him. My intention is not to share uh, something super complex. So there is vast amounts on this subject that I'm not interested in going into, don't have the time to even touch. My intention is that out of some recent experiences that I'm passing through, our family's passing through, And it's not exclusive to us. I believe that this applies to every one of us. And so I feel that the Lord would very much like us to consider these things, consider who he is, and to be encouraged in these matters. So I want to encourage my brothers and sisters in the faith as we consider some aspects of the nature of God and why he allows certain things that we would not allow if we were in charge. I want to look at, begin by looking at a couple of verses in Job 38. I'm going to be reading from a different translation. I'm actually, um, I'm taking it from the ERV. Job 38, verses 10 through 12. Job 38, verses 10 through 12. This is Job, I'm sorry, God here speaking with Job. 
I set the limits for the sea and put it behind locked gates. I said to the sea, you can come this far, but no further. This is where your proud waves will stop. Did you ever in your life command the morning to begin or the day to dawn? And so God here is raising some some things to Job for him to consider. And it shows us the greatness, just a glimpse of the greatness of the, the sovereignty of God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the reason God gives for not consuming, which means to destroy or to finish Israel, is simply that he is Lord. You know, you're, you read that, if you're like me, you're waiting for the punchline. He's going to give some really good intellectual reason. And he says, I, I'm not wiping you out because I'm God. And that pretty much summarizes it. So to use this reasoning for doing or not doing something, this reasoning of, for I am the Lord, we then need to know what the Lord is like. <clears throat> Obviously, we know that he is a good God, incapable of doing anything wrong or evil, not willing that any should eternally perish. Though we know many will, that's not his desire. That, he's not willing for that to happen. And we see the same reason used by God, again, in Hosea chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. And here God is discussing Israel's propensity to backsliding. Hosea 11, 7 through 9. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they call them to the most high, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. And so we can get just a glimpse of that absolute sovereignty of God. Here again. I think of when God was sending Moses to deliver his people out of bondage in Egypt, out of all of the names and the titles that God could have instructed Moses to use, he gave him, I am that I am, the eternally existent, self-sufficient one. He could have used man of war, Lord of hosts, he could have used any number of names or titles that are the Lord's, that are correct, that are accurate. But he doesn't use those. He uses, <clears throat> I am that I am. He uses this name, this title that indicates he exists outside of creation, the universe, mankind, and all of the mighty acts and abilities of man, if I can say that, 
And this is the God that is commissioning Moses to accomplish this task that absolutely will succeed, even though that generation was so uh, evil and rebellious that in his anger, God killed them in the wilderness. But his plan is accomplished via Joshua and the following generation. By the way, there are that revelation, that name, I am that I am to Moses. You can find that in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Christ uses this name, we know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just a couple of things here quickly. Number one, when he says that, and I'm sure probably everyone here were familiar with this, there is so much power of God that a band of soldiers, when you look up that word band, it's not, you know, two or three or five or six. A band indicates a large number of soldiers. When Christ says, I am, I am that I am, a band of soldiers, there's so much power that the band of soldiers cannot stand. So here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ says, I am, or I am that I am, when you put his two statements together. The first thing to consider is there's so much power released with that, that a a whole group of soldiers there armed, you know, to take Christ, they, they just fall flat on the ground. They're absolutely powerless. They can't even stand up. You know, he could have walked away right then and there. But secondly, this name, this attribute of God, it's so powerful that no human can combat it. And the Son of God there in the garden is using it. And at As he's using it, this whole process, he is submitting himself to the will of his heavenly father. Enduring an agonizing and torturous death. Which there's a place in scripture that tells us he could have called a legion of angels to be delivered. And he does all this, he he has that power, but he doesn't misuse it. He uses it perfectly to hit the mark that his father had for him in order that you and I and the world can be redeemed from our sins. So you can get that in John chapter 18, verses uh, 3 through 8. John 18, 3 through 8. This topic is an example of many that I prepare a message for. And somehow in my mind... I'm thinking, well, if I study this out enough and I I meditate and uh, all of that, that by the time I come to my conclusion, I'm going to have some neat way of encapsulating it so that we are so much more enlightened. But the reality is, most likely, you're all familiar with these things that I'm sharing with you this morning. And... I don't feel that necessarily God has given me some neat, enlightened conclusion that you've never considered before. But rather, I feel that I'm just able to share out of the things that I have passed through, am passing through, and again, it does seem 
in my family, in my wife's family, that it's all of a sudden. But that's really for every one of us. You know, life can kind of go by without these events, without, you know, the, the tragedies. Sometimes for many years at a time. And for some of us, if not most of us, we not only face tragedy, that would be every one of us, but sometimes you face a tragedy upon a, on top of a tragedy. And I'm, I'm sorry for using that word, because in God's eyes, it's not a tragedy. And that's what I'm talking about. He's, he's sovereign, and he decides. And he doesn't do anything wrong. And he only does things that are glorifying to him. But you and I, with our limited human viewpoint, we, we see things only from our perspective. Unless by his grace, and thank God he does this from time to time, he gives us a glimpse of his perspective. Hallelujah. I'd like to quote my wife. In talking about you know, grieving or being sad or crying, for the passing of her father, my father-in-law. She says, and I think it's so, so accurate, so good to keep before us, we don't grieve for him. We're grieving for ourselves. He's in absolutely the best place you can possibly be. He's where we're all aiming to, to be. It was a lot sooner than we thought. I had dreams or ambitions that how much we will be together in the ministry there, not just together, you know, thousands of kilometers apart, together on the same compound and, and all of these things that were only a part of my thinking. And it wasn't, I mean, we had that for a brief time, but that wasn't the plan of God. And so I want you to be encouraged. I believe the Holy Spirit, his takeaway for us is no matter what we're facing, it it doesn't have to be these major things. Sometimes it's just a a sad moment. Sometimes it's maybe you battle depression. Maybe you battle uh, physical things. For each and every one of us, it's, it's different things. But that to know that the God that we live for and serve, he is a sovereign God. He doesn't make mistakes. He does all things well. So can I give you some profound insight as to why a godly man I looked up to and loved was taken from his earthly life, family, ministry, fellowship, and those he loved, etc.? No. I can only go back to those things that God tells us in his word and is there for every one of us. We need to all be familiar with it. And the first verse that came to me as I was you know, concluding this was that verse in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die. I mean, the verse goes on and says other things. I'm just taking that phrase. It was God's appointed time. And, and we're sure of that. We were, we were there. We were in the midst of the 
situation, we were part of it. It does seem very sudden, but it was God's time. We're, we're absolutely convinced of that. Every, everything through, we just have that witness of the Lord. And so, of course, it wasn't, wouldn't be our choice, but that's what our Heavenly Father chose. And He does what is best. Of course, it is only fitting to mention what Romans tells us. And we're all familiar with this, that verse, all things work together for good. However, I feel to take that verse along with the preceding and following verses. This is my conclusion and what I feel the Lord wants us to to glean from his word. So, for all the hard things that we pass through in this life, and for all the things God allows that we don't understand, let us remember that God, our Heavenly Father, is a good and holy God, incapable of doing the slightest degree of wrong. That He loves each and every one of us far beyond what we could possibly imagine. And so let's finish with Romans chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Romans chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become, I'm sorry, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so I felt as I turned to this verse and just concluding this, and of course that obvious verse there in the middle, we know all things work together for good. Probably every young child in Sunday school memorizes that verse and it, it sticks with us. It's a very familiar verse in Christianity. And that doesn't make it any less true. But as I, I went there, I felt for the verse before and verse after, these three that I've read together. And so, in verse 27 here, God, by his Holy Spirit, he is searching our hearts. He is searching our lives. And while we know this, I think often, for myself anyways, I don't live day to day in that, in that truth, in that reality, that the Holy Spirit is searching my heart. So that as I go through life, as we go through this life, but especially when we pass through situations we don't understand, or that we would choose a different outcome, we can be sure God is fully aware of the situation. I'm thinking of that verse where it tells us that the Lord was aware of the afflictions of his people in bondage in Egypt. And that wasn't a bondage that lasted for a weekend or you know, a couple of months. 
It was years, years and years. And yet he allowed that, but he, he, it wasn't as though, oh, I forgot about that. Like sometime if someone's uh, making many dishes on the stove and you forget about the one and it boils over and it's a disaster. I do that and I'm only using one pot. <laughs> That's not the kind of God that we have where, oh, that's right, you're still in bondage. Sorry about that. It's been a few uh, hundred years. No, he knows every moment. And he's aware of it. But, but he has a heart for his people. You know, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted, I believe is what it says. If I've misquoted that, Pastor Wallace can sort it out when he comes in a bit. So the Holy Spirit is searching our hearts and our lives. And sometimes that can be a fearful and intimidating thought, but I think we can also take comfort and, and encouragement in it. Sometimes we, we feel alone, we feel it's, it's a bit dry, or, you know, if, if Lord, you've, you've caused me to face these things that are very tragic. And I think we can take comfort in that, that he is searching our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us Sometimes, you know, you think, shouldn't it be the other way around? And yes, you know, as my mother-in-law was sharing that, that testimony about, you know, her being, interceding. And all of us, when the Holy Spirit lays it on our heart, we need to intercede. But we have a God who is interceding for us. That's, that's the most amazing thing. He makes every provision and then he intercedes for us according to the will of God. He is absolutely looking for the, the best outcome, and we don't see it as the best, and, and, and we might pass from this life into eternity not having seen it on this side. But everything he does, he does well, and there's not a shadow of, of wrong with him. He's pleading with the Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, for our very best. And then, of course, we come to that bit there, that verse that we're so familiar with. That all things work together for them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And, of course, you know, the challenge there for, for us is, do we really love God? Are we really you know, walking in accordance to uh, what he wants in our lives? And if so... You know, he works all things for good, even when we don't see it or understand it. Ultimately, he intricately knows every detail of our lives, and he's orchestrating it so we can be formed to be like our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says not, you know, not only uh, conformed to the image of his Son, but it goes on that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that's, that's the heart of our Heavenly Father. And so I'm just going to finish with that. And I trust that it's an encouragement to you, whether it's today or sometime in the future, that our sovereign Heavenly Father is a loving Heavenly Father and He does all things well and makes no mistakes. And He's, if we will allow Him... <clears throat> It's kind of like the impression I get, like uh, maybe a diamond that has so many different facets. And those facets can represent 
you know, the various situations that we pass through in this life. And, you know, maybe he's cutting, maybe he's chopping or grinding or sanding or polishing here and there, bit by bit in our life. And so often we, we really don't have his perspective or understand at least way the full scope of what he's doing. But we can rest in, in that assurance that he does all things well. And, and just that can comfort us and carry us. May God really bless you.